In most of all of the moments of our daily life, each of us are making choices. And that's the title to the message today, Making Intentional Choices. So in most of the moments of our daily life, each of us are making choices, one choice or another. And some of those choices are only momentary and they have a very minor impact on our lives. But other choices... Other choices are far more serious and they have long-ranging, even eternal consequences. And unfortunately, at the moment that we're making those choices, though they be intentional choices, we aren't always able to know just how serious our choices might really turn out to be. It's only later, as life unfolds, that the true nature of some of our choices come to light. And then... Unfortunately, it's often too late to undo the consequences of those choices. In this scripture passage here in Luke chapter 7 that we are reading in a moment, we find people making choices, intentional choices. Choices that will not only affect the events of their daily life here on this earth, but more importantly, they're making choices that will determine where they will spend their eternity. Now here just after Jesus had finished telling the people about the special ministry of repentance that John the Baptist had been teaching and preaching and had said of John in verse 28, I tell you among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And then the people responded in verse 29. When all the people heard this, the tax collectors too. They declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, the scribes, rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Then Jesus continued to say, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like little children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge, but you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Reading here about the choices that people make, I'm reminded of a testimony that my dear oldest son gave during an evening service when he was a student at French camp. The central message given within his testimony was that life is filled with a series of choices, just like are being made here in these scriptures. And that's true. That's true. And may I say again that every moment of every day, you and I, we each are making one choice or another. And some of those choices are momentary and they'll have very little impact on our lives. But other choices, other choices that we'll make are far more serious and they'll have long ranging, even eternal consequences. And as I mentioned a moment ago, unfortunately, at the moment that we're making those choices, we don't always know just how serious they are. It's only later as life unfolds that the true nature of some of those choices come to light. And then, again, it's often too late to undo some of the consequences of those choices. 
In these words of our scripture passage for today, we see men making choices. Some of them making right choices, but some of them making very wrong choices. And in truth, they probably really did not fully understand the eternal impact of the decisions that they were making. But it wasn't as if these men were who were making wrong choices were not smart enough to know and to understand. These men were plenty smart and intelligent. These men were people of higher learning. They were tax collectors, they were scribes, Pharisees, lawyers. And it wasn't as if they were hearing different messages. They were all hearing the very same message being preached to them. But still, with each of them having good intelligence and each of them hearing the very same words, they were arriving at different conclusions, making different choices and decisions. Choices and decisions that would impact their lives for an eternity. Now, why would that be so? How can men hearing the same words arrive at different conclusions and make very different choices? It's because conventional wisdom, education, and intelligence cannot adequately prepare us to make right choices in every circumstance. We think that to be so, but it's not. Even with the highest of education, we can still remain very foolish. Here Jesus likened some of those very intelligent men, especially the scribes and the Pharisees, to foolish little children that were playing in the streets. Children who had nothing better to do than to pass their time away with mindless banter that accomplished nothing. And even worse, those very intelligent men chose to stand by and criticize and to slander others for the choices that they were making. Listen again to what Jesus says about these men. To what shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? He was speaking of the scribes and the Pharisees, these lawyers. He says, to what shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like little children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, they would say. And you did not dance. We sang a dirge, but you didn't weep. The human mind is often a curious thing to comprehend. We prize our intellect and our higher learning. With great pride, we expect our education to equip us for every circumstance of life. But folks, it cannot. It cannot. That's because all things are not perceived and understood solely with our intellect. There are other deeper senses within our beings that reach on further and help us to have perception and understanding beyond the simple raw ability to think. That was the nature of the problem that was taking place with these men that we read about here in these words. These scribes and Pharisees, they were prideful men, puffed up by their knowledge and their position within the religious establishment. And in their pride, they fell victim to the same confusion that men and women of all generations, our generation, encounter. And that is that they fail to realize the subtle difference between knowledge and wisdom. Let me say that again. They fail to realize the subtle difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge, knowing things, and knowing about things, it's good. But unless a person also knows how and why and when and where to use that knowledge, 
their efforts will fail them. It's only as a person uses and embraces wisdom that his knowledge, her knowledge, will truly begin to bear good fruit. Listen to what the Lord tells us about wisdom in Proverbs chapter 4. In those words through the mouth of Solomon, God said, Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all that you have, get understanding. Esteem her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. The wisdom that's spoken about in these words is a very special kind of wisdom. It's not the simple kind of understanding gained from higher education. And it's also not the conventional wisdom that we talk about that we think we can gain when we make mistakes and we learn from them. It's not that kind of wisdom. The kind of wisdom that's spoken about here is filled with the Spirit of God. Let me say that again. The wisdom that's spoken about here is wisdom that is filled with the Spirit of God and with His power and with His presence. This kind of wisdom is fully able to equip us for any and every choice and decision that we will ever encounter in life. And no doubt, these men, these men of higher learning, especially the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests, they had read and they had studied these words of Solomon, these truths about wisdom many times, probably throughout their years. So they were without excuse, folks. They were without excuse for not having taken them into their hearts and their minds. Here in these words of Luke chapter 7, we see choices that are being made for all the reasons that we mentioned. We see some wise choices, but we also see some very unwise choices. And in simple words, Jesus tells us how these men's choices will turn out. He tells us wisdom is justified by all her children. That the wisdom of men's choices will be borne out in the results that they bear. If these men had genuinely received God's wisdom provided for them in the scriptures, their use of their wisdom would be seen in their behaviors and in the choices that they would make. In the time that was leading up to this encounter with Jesus, many of these people, the scribes, the Pharisees, the tax collectors, they had been going out into the wilderness to hear the special message that was being preached by John the Baptist. And that was his trumpeting call to repentance. Many of them had accepted John the Baptist's words and had repented and they had been baptized, but others had not. And here at the time that eternal decisions and choices would be made, each were using what they had within them to make their choices. Some were using the power of the Holy Spirit, but others were using prideful intellect. Note these words carefully. And note this very thin line that can separate men between heaven and hell. Verse 29. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. Folks, the small space and the word but 
between verse 29 and 30, is all that separated these men from eternal life and eternal death. And for each and every one of us, it's the same. For our loved ones, it's the same. It's always exactly the same. There is only a hair's breadth that separates us between eternal life with Christ and eternal death in hell. And woe be unto most all of us because none of us truly does fully comprehend the horrors of the difference between those two conditions of the soul. We say that we do. We think that we do. But were we to truly understand the horrors of hell, we would be on our knees continually begging and pleading with God the Father to not only save our own souls, but we would be pleading with Him to save our loved ones. And we'd be doing everything that we could to give God's saving message to each one of them ourselves. Folks, this is an incredibly important and demanding need. And we must not, we dare not, turn away from our responsibility to our loved ones. Let me convince you and me that when Jesus spoke the words, no one comes to me except my Father draw them, that drawing is very often accomplished by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit living within you and me as we witness to our loved ones. In other words, when you pray, Father, won't you please send your Holy Spirit to draw my son, my daughter, my husband, my wife, or some other loved one to Christ? God immediately says back to you and me, I have sent my Holy Spirit. He is in you. Now you go and give the gospel to your loved ones. And folks, very often, it's not as if we have to go to the far side of the sea to witness to our loved one. Often it's only a matter of just walking into the next room and saying to our loved one, I love you too much to let you perish. These words of Jesus, they're simple and they're straightforward. And they are a serious warning to us about the choices that each of us can make. I urge you and me to not let these choices get lost to us as we walk out of here today. Listen again and consider these choices. Verse 29, when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. These are simple words. It's said here that some of these men justified God. They declared God to be just and holy. And because he is just and holy, he cannot permit the presence of unrepented sin to enter into his kingdom. And they, un they understood that it was God and God alone who is truly right and righteous. That they, by their own goodness, by their own righteousness, could not justify themselves. But that is God, it's God and God alone who can justify them, that can make right the wretchedness of their sinful souls. No one else, nothing less, could save them from their sins. But here then in verse 30, others hearing the very same message came to a very different conclusion. And they foolishly rejected the will of God. Let me re-ask the basic question. What was it that led some of these men to make one choice while others made a very different choice? Why some would justify God, but others would intentionally choose not to? The answer, folks, is given within the simple words of verse 29. 
having been baptized with the baptism of John. What does that mean? To be baptized with the baptism of John didn't simply mean that these men and women had been immersed in water. The water was only the outward sign of a deeper work that had transpired within those people's souls. That deeper work was a recognition of the wretched, sinful condition of their souls and of their desperate need for those sins to be wiped away. That was repentance. That was repentance. And that was what was meant in the words, the baptism of John. Repentance. Folks, I've said to us over and over again, but it needs to be said over and over again. Repentance is absolutely essential in the pathway to salvation. We must not fall victim to the belief that salvation will come to us simply and solely because God loves us. Yes, he does love us. Yes, he does. But he cannot, listen, he cannot invite us into his kingdom with our sinful nature still powerful and active within us. Our sinful nature must be killed out within us and replaced by the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. Only Jesus can do that. And we cannot ignore our part, though, within that process. And that is to repent. To repent. To see our sin for the wretchedness that it is. And then to fall on our face in sorrow, begging Christ to take those sins away. These words of Jesus are calling out to us. They're calling out to our loved ones to make the same choices that these first men made. And that is to justify God. What will be the proof, our evidence, that we have made that right choice? We'll know, as all people will know, based on verse 35. There he tells us wisdom is justified by her children. The wisdom to choose repentance over pride will prove itself out by our surrendering our hearts over to the Lord and by our behaviors. All those moments that follow afterwards, every day, on into eternity. Let me say again, and we'll close. There's just a small space between verses 29 and 30. But it separates these men from eternal life, eternal death. And that's also true for you and me. And for our loved ones. There's only a hair's breadth that separates us between eternal life with Christ an eternal death in hell. Listen to those words again. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. These precious words in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 were told that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Oh, dear Father, if there's even one in this room who has not repented of their sins and received you, Lord Jesus, as their Savior, I pray that right now they would do that. And for those of us who have Christ as our Savior and we need to repent of sins that somehow remain in our hearts. I do pray, Holy Spirit, that you will convict us of those sins and that we'll cry out in repentance for forgiveness. 
Oh, Lord, don't let us walk away from here without doing those things. And especially to take this message to our loved ones who might quite often not have any time. Help us to cry out to our loved ones to repent and turn their hearts to Christ. To cry out to our loved ones that they need a Savior. And the Lord Jesus is the only Savior of our souls. We pray in Jesus' precious name.